This is Education Insight. I'm Lacey Kendall. With all of the recent talk about the price of college, many people are asking what the value is right now. Is it worth it? For the money paid for a post-secondary education, what can you expect to make? How long until it pays off? Does that degree provide greater freedoms? Or are the real gains something different? Today, we're discussing value. We sit down with Chancellor Kim Wilcox from the University of California, Riverside to get the answer to all of those questions. During this season of giving thanks, we'll also pay homage to some valuable teachers that truly changed lives. That later in our show. But first, we meet Dr. Yvonne Olivares, a research scientist and methodologist who, with her team, just completed an exhaustive study of Inland Empire high school students to determine their perceived value of a college education. Dr. Olivares, welcome to Education Insight. Oh, well, I'm happy to be here, but uh, please call me Yvonne. Thanks, Yvonne. So let's talk about this study that you conducted. First of all, who commissioned it? And could you just tell our audience and me a a little bit more about it? Sure. This um, study was actually commissioned by uh, Growing Inland Achievement. In recent years, there's been a lot of talk around colleges and student debt and the value of education. And goodness knows, since the pandemic, enrollment has actually been down at community colleges and four-year colleges. And uh, Growing Inland Achievement really wanted to understand, you know, how has the value of college changed uh, amongst Inland Empire teens? What did they most want to, uh, to draw from this study about teenagers specifically? What they were most hoping to draw was to identify, you know, what are the triggers to improve their perception, mm-hmm. um, to be able to increase enrollment at, you know, certificate programs, two-year programs, four-year programs. Could you tell us a little bit about the teenagers who were chosen and participated in the study? Sure. They were a racially and ethnically diverse group of 14 to 17-year-olds from across Riverside and San Bernardino County. Uh, We had a mix of socioeconomics um, from teens who were living in extreme poverty to affluent teens and everything in between. And because this was a study about college perceptions, Half the group uh, was recruited specifically because they identified as they, they planned to go to college after they graduated high school. And the other half said that they weren't sure if they wanted to go to high school, or they wanted to go to college or absolutely no, zero plans to go to college um, after they graduated. Okay. Yvonne, there's been a lot of discussion about what college is worth, including both the economic and non-economic benefits of education. So what types of value did the teenagers in your study see in education? Well, probably not a big surprise, but almost every single teenager in the study talked about the economic benefits. They talked about all the financial opportunities. Um, this age group, and you know, I, I can't say for sure that this is true all the time or if they've become hyper aware because of the pandemic, But this age group really focused on all the doors and opportunities that were available only to those who had a college degree. Now, the interesting thing was actually the non-economic benefits. The only teens who actually talked about anything other than money and the benefits of, you know, having more of it were actually the teens who were already planning to go to college. 
those teens talked about, you know, when they go to college, they're going to have fun and they're going to make friends and they're going to get to participate in, in clubs and they're going to get to travel. And they had a lot more, a very long laundry list of all these non-economic benefits, mm-hmm. as opposed to all those teens who were not sure about college. They, they weren't thinking about those. To them, that was not at all a benefit of college. For them, it really was just about the money. Some of the examples you gave sounded like they were talking about the values of being at college as opposed to graduating yes. from college. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, I, mean, I, I mean, I think it's normal. 14 to 17-year-olds are thinking about um, activities, and uh, that seems to be a big positive for them. Mm-hmm. Were there any notable barriers to entering college that uh, those students perceived or, or identified in their responses, cost or otherwise? Let's talk about the cost first. Um, cost was the number one thing we were expecting here. At least I, I was expecting to hear, you know, student debt. It's been a conversation for a long time. And cost of college wasn't something that came up for these teens. Um, it wasn't really a common theme. It was actually only a small subsect. Um, teens of color who were unsure about their college plans were the only ones who talked about the cost of college. And even then, when they talked about cost of college, it wasn't, you know, college is so expensive, it's not worth the money. When they talked about cost of college, it was more, I'm not sure if I'm going to be successful if I went to college. And so they talked about their concerns about failing in college and then having debt and not getting that college degree, not getting the doors open to them. The actual big barrier, the ones that were the real, the the common theme, almost universal across the board was the fact that the vast majority of teens don't actually have college resources. Most of them only have like one resource of who they could ask questions about college. And sadly, number one was they go to the internet when they have questions. Or if they're real lucky, maybe they've got an older sibling or an older cousin. And this on the surface, you're like, well, you know, 14, most of the study we aim to get, you know, older teens. So most were graduating, the largest group was graduating seniors. And their only source for college information was the internet. Most of the teens in the study didn't realize that their high school counselor was actually a college resource. So information and lack of understanding of who is available to them, I would say is the biggest barrier. Did they have any understanding at all of the cost or of how college is paid for, how much it costs, things like grants and student loans? It sounds like they had no thought about that whatsoever. Is that correct to say? That is absolutely correct to say. They didn't really understand how much college costs or how college could be paid for um, beyond maybe a reference they heard in a movie somewhere, um, which in and of itself, I mean, for me, it was, it was a little stunt. I mean, I expected some of these things, but I didn't expect them to be so universal across the board. Yeah. What did you learn about who or what actually influences their perceived value of college, the teenagers in the study? Well, For the lucky few IE teens um, who happen to have a parent who went to college, um, and it doesn't matter, you know, definition of college, it can be a certificate program, a two-year program, a four-year program. For the lucky few who had a parent who has some level of education, their perspective 
is based on a combination of elements. Their parents, the school counselors, um, they do college tours. You know, they talk about both official tours as well as casual visits to college campuses. And so they have these really, you know, intricate understanding of at least the bigger picture. Unfortunately, for a large chunk of the IE teens, um, which we know, you know, lower income, their resources are the media. I mean, they watched a movie, they watched a show that talked about college, and that's their reference to what college is worth and what college is going to be like. I mean, I can't tell you how many times a teen mentioned a college that they're planning to go to. And when I would ask, like, you know, can you tell me about NYU or why are you picking MIT? They said they didn't know anything about the college, but, you know, that's their dream place. (laughs) They couldn't even name what city these places were in. Wow. Yvonne, if the college that they wanted to go to or that they dreamed of was close by, had they visited that campus or even any other college campuses to kind of see what they look like or what they're all about? You know, the only teams that mentioned local, well, and I I say local as in Southern California local, not Inland Empire local, but the only ones who mentioned, you know, driving distance colleges were ones who talked about that they went on a tour there. That seems to be the, a big trigger for, for teams to have, you know, dreams that are sort of more realistic. If you just joined us, you're listening to Education Insight. On the telephone with us today is Yvonne Olivares. She is a research scientist and methodologist who recently completed a study on how teenagers here in the Inland Empire perceive the value of college. Yvonne, did you find commonalities between Inland Empire students' college aspirations and what they imagined their futures to be like or notable differences? Uh, Absolutely. All the teens, um, it didn't matter their socioeconomics, the race. They all imagined these very bright futures with a nice home, the ability to travel. Um, They all imagined working careers that they enjoy. I mean, no one talked about just doing a job. Where teens were actually different um, were the, the teens who talked about I'm going to go to college after I graduate. These teens, their their aspirations for the future were really concrete. You know, they didn't just say, I'm going to have a nice job. I'm going to have a nice house. Um, They talked about where that house was going to be, what kind of job they were going to do, and what kind of, you know, major they, they are going to accomplish in college and what college they're going to go to to do that major. They have all these concrete steps involved in um. The unsure college teens, the no college, I mean, they still talked about, I'm going to have a nice home, I'm going to have this. And when we asked them, okay, so, you know, can you tell us about what are the steps you're going to be, um, you need to accomplish in order to get this? They all said, well, I'm going to have to go to college. But when in any sort of follow-up, they don't have any idea like what college or what are the next steps. So they see college as a a necessity, but it's all just sort of a vague um, it's vague for them. Yeah. What about different kinds of schools? How did the Inland Empire teenagers that uh, were in your study, how did they view the value of a certificate program versus a two-year or even a four-year degree? Before you answer that, 
We need to take a quick break. We're speaking with Dr. Yvonne Oliveris, a research scientist who just completed a study of Inland Empire high schoolers to learn more about their perceived value of a college education and what or who influences their choices in education. More in a moment. I'm Lacey Kendall, and this is Education Insight. Welcome back to Education Insight. Today, discussing education and values. UCR Chancellor Kim Wilcox joins us in a moment to explain how the value of higher education has and hasn't changed. But on the phone with us is Dr. Yvonne Oliveris, a research scientist with Services for Data-Driven Solutions. It's an Ohio organization that specializes in researching education issues across the U.S. Recently, she completed a study aimed at Inland Empire high school students to learn how they value higher education and how they select the college they want to attend after graduation. Yvonne, before the break, I asked, how did high school students in your research study value a certificate program or a two-year college degree? Well, in the study, I didn't specifically ask them to compare a certificate versus a two-year versus a four-year. But what I did ask was about, you know, what are the programs, you know, you're interested in? And one of the things that I found pretty big disconnect was that almost every single teen, including the unsure and a couple of the no college, said, if I go to college when I graduate, I'm going to go straight to a four-year. Um, wow. And to them... They just said, I, you know, that's, that's how you, I know I'm successful. That's how I know I'm going to succeed. And that two-year was not even a possibility. I mean, it came up for a couple of, of teens who mentioned, I'm going to do a two-year first. But, I mean, it wasn't the norm. Um, and with the certificate, I mean, we only had one, one teen who mentioned it, um, that they needed to get a certificate in order to do a particular career. Yeah. But the four-year seems to be their definition of success. And it and it's not just ultimately getting a four-year degree, but straight to a four-year after high school. Okay. You mentioned the location or geography of where the students imagined that they would go to college, some of them having never been to those campuses, and that there wasn't a lot of mention of attending college here in the Inland Empire. I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. Did you get to an understanding of why they were looking elsewhere as opposed to here at home? Yeah, I mean, there's no easy way of saying it, but the teens had a perspective of going to the Inland Empire. It's it's not as good an education, um, but they didn't have any basis of having a tent, having gone to do a tour at UCR or at UC Riverside or CSU San Bernardino. Um, these weren't actually based on any facts, um, but their perspective of in order to go to college, you know, media has said you have to go away to college. And so you have to be, su the success is leaving to go to college. And so it was, it was it's pretty complicated for them mm -hmm. in that they, they're not familiar with the local colleges. They haven't visited the campuses. 
And for many of them, as I said, they rely on media to tell them, you know, what matters about college and leaving for college is a big thing. Yeah. Um, One thing I will say, you know, any team that was planning on a geographically close college like Fullerton or UCLA, it really was about a tour. I mean, there was no single team who was at least picking um, a Southern California school who didn't specifically mention I'm going there because I went on a visit or I have a friend who went there or a cousin who went there and I went to the campus and I walked around. So that seems to be a big trigger for them to choosing a school is having gotten the chance to walk the grounds and imagine themselves there. Mm. You said that a lot of these teenagers had not been to UCR or CSUSB. Um, Do you think that is the fault of the parents or of the high schools? or of the universities themselves? Well, I don't know that false is the right word, but I mean, I do think that there's a really huge lost opportunity there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't think parents or schools um, or even the colleges realize how important it is for teens to be able to physically be someplace in order to imagine themselves there. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, It's just left up to them to start, you know, imagining these schools, you know, Yale and Harvard, which we know is really unlikely. And how are they going to feel when they don't get into those schools? Yeah. What surprised you the most about what you found over everything, all of the great information gathered in this research study? Yvonne, what surprised you the most? You know, the thing that surprised me the most was... The teens with the most, what I would deem the most unrealistic expectations, you know, I'm going to go to Harvard, I'm going to go to Yale, MIT, Columbia, you know, this laundry list of very expensive Ivy League schools. They actually had the most detailed plans about, you know, all the steps they needed to do while in high school. Also, then once they were in college and their plans for, you know, after graduation. So the thing that surprised me was that having even these unrealistic expectations really helped um, them start creating, you know, concrete plans. So in my, the way my takeaway from that was it's better to have them have something to aim for um, because otherwise they don't try to aim for anything. And we get these teens who are like, college is important. I should go to college. I don't know what I should do. I don't know who I should talk to. And they're left in the dark. Yeah. So is it fair to say that in the eyes of our inland empire teenagers, college has value? Absolutely. Uh, The big takeaway for me is that teens not only value college, but overwhelmingly teens would like to go to college. Um, Any teens that are not going to college in some form, either certificate, two-year or four-year, it's not because of a lack of value so much as a lack of understanding how to navigate the waters to get to college. In light of everything revealed in this research study conducted by you for Growing Inland Achievement, what do you think we need to be saying to our Inland Empire teenagers that we're not currently saying? You know, I don't think there's anything that can be said, but I do think there's things that can be done. First and foremost, we need to find ways to have teens start aiming for colleges Um, And it really can be as simple as getting the teens at UC Riverside, at CSU San Bernardino, walking the campus 
we have so many two-year colleges that are just beautiful in the Inland Empire, you know, and having students be able to walk there and see how nice it is and start imagining themselves there, you know, is step one in getting them to start creating some concrete goals. Step two is once they have some, a goal in mind is physically making appointments with their school counselors. I mean, it still horrifies me. You know, it's, it's been a while since I completed the study to realize how many teens don't realize their school counselors are college resources. And if we could automate that system to where, you know, there's a, um, a meeting scheduled with their school counselor and that meeting is just to talk about after high school, you know, certificate programs, two-year programs, four-year programs, so teens understand their options because there is no one path to success. Um, we just need them to start thinking about it. Um, so I don't think there's anything we can say, but I do think there's some really simple things we could do. Yeah. Yvonne, this has truly been fascinating. Uh, on the telephone with us, Yvonne Oliveris a PhD research scientist and methodologist with services for data-driven solutions, a private consulting firm. She just completed a study for growing inland achievement on the perceived value of a college education today, particularly by Inland Empire teenagers. And we appreciate you joining us so much, Yvonne. Well, thank you. Coming up on Education Insight, a tribute to some wonderful teachers. But right now, on the line with us is Chancellor Kim Wilcox from UCR. With so many schools turning to online education, corporations offering jobs and great pay to those with no college education necessary or offering their own free path to higher education, Many are wondering if a college education still has the value it did over the last century, or if that's changing. Today, we're asking tough questions. Chancellor Wilcox, thanks for taking our call. Great to be here. Do you believe the value of a post-secondary degree has changed over time? And if so, in what ways? Well, uh, first of all, yes, it certainly has. Uh, we can think back to times long ago when... Uh, College degrees were really just for a, a small set of generally privileged white men who wanted to be doctors, lawyers, or theologians. Um, so the value has evolved a lot over the years. Just in the last several decades, I think there's been a change. When I was a college student in the 1970s, it was very respectable. I had lots of friends who were in fields of study that we all recognized and they had admitted probably weren't going to lead to a whole lot of money. But it was a sense that the education itself had value. And the college degree had value separate from the, the relative earning power. Uh, we've moved from there. Uh, the dollar amounts have become more important in our assessment of degrees over the years. And, of course, the value has changed. That's all a matter of the eye of the beholder. Um, some, some see it much more valuable than others, of course. What are some of the ways that you determine that value for a student? Um, I, I don't want to speak on behalf of any one student because, uh, again, I think sure. every student should have their own sense of, of the value. But I worry a bit uh, these days that we are trying to find the best metric in terms of finances. Um, do we measure someone's income after a year of college or 10 or a, a year from leaving college, rather, or 10 years after college or 40 years of our lifetime? And all those are important measures of, of uh, impact or the degree. But there's so many other things. Thomas Jefferson, many years ago, suggested that an educated citizenry is vital 
to the survival of our nation as a free people. That's pretty fundamental. And whether or not each of those individuals made more money than they would have without college isn't really part of that statement. Uh, The notion that we as a nation need to be educated, need to be informed, need to be integrated in a way into our society that makes it better for all of us. That's a measure that's awfully hard to, to come up with. And it's almost impossible to come up with that for every individual in our society. So trying to find some collective value is, is the challenge right, right now. So uh, for me, it's a matter of finances. Yes, that's important. This notion of a, a society that's better prepared to be a society, that's important. Um, knowledge about history and values and ethics and national and social transgressions, the whole notion of, of social justice, all those things are part of becoming an educated citizen, and they may or may not lead to a, a larger paycheck next Friday. Yeah. Does earning a post-secondary degree really promote economic mobility for most people? Um, yes, for most people, but not for all people. Um, the example is there are students from very wealthy families who go to what some describe as elitist universities. I describe them as exclusionary universities. They work hard to be exclusionary and keep people out. Uh, but they go to those universities. They're rich when they got there and they're rich when they leave. Uh, and they're going to be rich when they die. Uh, they have essentially no impact on social mobility or social financial income. Uh, there, are other, there are students and there are students of all stripes. But there are lots of universities and lots of students where that power is huge. Uh, here at UCR, U.S. News has identified us as number one in social mobility three year, in all three years they've, they've made the assessment. And what that means is we take students at a income level and raise them up further than anybody else does in the whole nation. Now, that's, that's an impact. At the same time, I will admit and regret the fact that there are some students for whom that impact is much less, even on our campus. But for most of the students in America, college, university makes a huge difference in their earning power over their lifetime. Yeah. You mentioned education as an asset. So let's talk about education as an investment. Is there a way to calculate return at a four-year institution like UCR or others in this region? Well, yeah, again, you, you can do the, uh, the calculations, as it were, the mathematical calculations. Of, and uh, there's been lots of national studies about the additional income that you earn over a lifetime with a college degree or not. But again, those are averages across millions of people for any one individual may or may not be the case. Uh, we can calculate all. And, and uh, as I said earlier, um, we can look at lifetime or you can look at first year out of the, out of the uh, university, what's the relative salary, 10 years out and so forth. Yeah, we can make those financial calculations. But again, I think that's just a small part of what um, a u- university education brings to someone. And, and I'll be honest, it's awfully hard to find a way to measure that value in terms of helping someone understand the history of the world and the, and the subtleties of of analysis of issues, current issues in the world. If you just joined us, you're listening to Education Insight. We're joined by Chancellor Kim Wilcox from the University of California, Riverside. And we're talking about the actual value today of a college degree here on Education Insight. Dr. Wilcox, a great number of important studies in the last couple of years have shown that the financial return on student investment of time and effort, money for an education is not necessarily the same for students across race and gender. 
what can be done to rectify those equity gaps? Think about that for a second as we take a quick break. What is the real value of post-secondary education right now? More with Chancellor Kim Wilcox coming up. I'm Lacey Kendall. More education insight in a moment. Support provided by the College of Arts and Letters at Cal State San Bernardino. Art and design, communication, English, liberal studies, music, philosophy, theater, world languages and literature. The College of Arts and Letters at Cal State San Bernardino. We define the future. Welcome back to Education Insight. We're talking about perceived and tangible value of a post-secondary education. Joining us today is Kim Wilcox, Chancellor of the University of California, Riverside. Dr. Wilcox, before the break, I asked if there is anything that could be done to assure that the return on education is equal for students across race and gender lines. Great question, and thanks for asking. Uh, again, the uh, the studies, and uh, rightfully, um, are studies of big swaths of America, uh, hundreds or sometimes more uh, universities and thousands or tens of thousands of students. And those assessments are exactly right. We have a, a, a national embarrassment in gaps between graduation rates of uh, students who are received Pell Grants, which really is a proxy for students from low-income families, uh, African-American students. Latinx students, Native American students, nationally all graduate at rates much lower than their white uh, counterparts. That's simply unacceptable. What can be done? Um, there are places, I would say UCR is one of them, there are others around the country who have managed to eliminate those gaps. And what can be done is it takes commitment. Um, if universities, if some universities have managed to eliminate those gaps, then it's something that can be changed. And for those universities who haven't, I suggest they're simply not committed to the task. There are programs, uh, you can, if you're in higher education, you have uh, access to webinars and reports and uh, assessments that, that describe all the kinds of things that you can do as a university to make the difference. For us here in, at UCR, we've boiled it down to three things. Uh, number one, you have to have a culture that embraces excellence for all students and all faculty and staff. Uh, we have that culture. We really believe that we're here for everybody and for each other. Once you have that culture, you start to attract people who feel the same way. So we have new faculty members come all the time in large part because they know about these values and they know about our students and they know about how successful our students are. And once you have that kind of culture and the people who are committed to it, then there's lots of programs that, again, you can go online if you, if you want and read about all kinds of programs. But at the heart of it, it has to be the commitment across the culture of the institution. Yeah. Chancellor, what is an appropriate time frame for evaluating the ultimate value received from one's college degree? It takes some time for the investment into a college education to pay off. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start not with the dollars, but with the, the broader impact. I have... Mm -hmm friends and, and colleagues and relatives and, and people I just meet who are in their 40s and 50s, and they say, 
I finally appreciate the philosophy class that you made me take when I was a freshman. I finally recognize why it is I had to take those history and rhetoric classes. The value is sometimes not evident for many years later into uh, one's life. And if that's true for these, these um, kind of uh, knowledge-based uh, aspects of the education, it's certainly true for the financial piece as well. I, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic as to whether we should look at one year after graduation or 10 years or 20 years or 25 years. Uh, those are just numbers to provide some kind of perspective on one aspect. Uh, but again, my experience is people who are a little further along in life, uh, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, are continually recognizing the value of their degree in ways that they didn't when they were 25 or 30 or 35. So what the right year, what the right time is, I'm not sure. The, it seems to me the longer out, the better, because you have more chances to understand and appreciate really all that you got. So what would you say are some of the other benefits or the value created for graduates aside from economics? An educated person, even the term educated person, tends to conjure up a notion uh, in your head. That's someone who has a broader perspective on ideas, generally has some kind of global perspective on current events, as well as an ability to frame those in a historical perspective. That's someone who has a quantitative ability so that they can read the uh, news and under interpret graphs and tables of figures in ways that help them understand what the table was intended to do. Uh, there, there are a set of skills and knowledge uh, and, and knowledge that make them a different kind of person than they would have been without that education. They can assess situations differently. They can do research when they read something that doesn't quite make sense to them. They question it. They know how to go back and check the veracity of the, of the, of the statement or the, or the notion. Uh, those things are part of being an educated person, in my mind. You know, it seems higher education is in a moment of flux where things like micro-credentials and stackable degrees, learning at your own pace, online-only schools are getting more and more popular. And perhaps hiring companies are becoming more lenient on the requirement for post-secondary credentials. Do you imagine as time passes, it'll become more difficult to maintain the value proposition of a college education? Uh, no, I don't actually. Mm. It, it, this scale is different. Um, this has been the case, I think, for decades. Colleagues, again, that I graduated with in the 70s who took jobs in engineering firms spent the first six to nine months to a year uh, being trained by the company. Uh, CPAs, they get to their accounting firm and they, they, I mean, getting additional training specific for that company and that job is um, long, a longstanding tradition in the United States. And an important point is the difference between the education they received and the training they receive. Generally speaking, companies rightfully are interested in specific skill acquisition in order to perform a specific task for the corporation. That's in part what we do at a university, but it's only part of what we do. And I read a survey or a, uh, analysis now, it's been several years, maybe five, 10 years ago. That group went through and, and interviewed all the chief human resources officers at a bunch of major corporations and about the kinds of individuals they're looking for when they recruit. And then they went and asked the CEOs of the same corporations what they were looking for. And the human resources officers spend a lot of time talking about specific skills, specific abilities, 
uh, the CEOs talked about a broadly educated person, much more interested in somebody with a liberal arts degree, hmm. uh, thinking that we could always give them the skills that they need to do our task, but we don't have the time, the capacity, or or the ability, really, to, to do that broader education. To so make them more worldly. I, I feel, exactly. Yeah. Uh, more mature and, and able to, to be a real addition to the company, not just someone who does a job for the company. <clears throat> so I, I think we're evolving that uh, that dynamic, but I'm I'm not worried, uh, really. I think the value will only be seen as greater and greater as the years go on. I'm curious to hear how you feel about corporate education programs. So many of them uh, are popping up lately. Large employers like Amazon and Target offering paid tuition programs with specific education partners. Do you see that as having an impact on post-secondary value and attainment here in our region? I think that's I think that's all for the good. Uh, those kinds of partnerships between Amazon and Starbucks and uh, with the universities is all for the good. Number one, it raises the visibility of the importance of an education. It does help shape both behaviors in both directions. I think the behavior of the university and the behavior of the corporation. Uh, in order to make this work, we each have to move a little bit, and that's not a bad thing. I think uh, in general, I really believe that. We have been too structured in higher education, 16-week semesters, three credit classes, 120 credits to graduate. There's no reason we couldn't do a whole bunch of two-week classes or one-day classes or five-day classes for all different kinds of value. And I think the corporate partnerships will force us to, to think about that differently. It's a little harder here in the Inland Empire. We, we don't have those major corporation headquarters. Most of these deals get meted out at, at headquarters. The head office uh, sets up the big deals. And that's, again, another place that we, we just don't have those big partners. Uh, so the options aren't quite as great here. Amazon has some, of course, but uh, uh, we, we still have a ways to go here in the region. Chancellor, before we let you go, what would you say, just off the top of your head, is the most exciting thing that you see for the value of a college education uh, this year and going forward in the next few years here in our Inland Empire? Oh boy, great question. Um, I, I, I can I can come up with all kinds of things. Out of my let, me, let me start with one. The pandemic was lots of things, but I hope it helped the world appreciate the miracles that have happened in biology and science broadly in the last decade or two. To think that we managed to maintain or manage the, the outbreak as we did, even with tragically hundreds of thousands of deaths in the country. We minimized it much more than we might have ever thought we would. And to generate a vaccine that's so effective in less than a year, that's a miracle. And it's a miracle because of decades of fundamental research. So when I think about the Inland Empire, I want to make sure that we're part of that 21st century, where those kinds of breakthroughs happen. And then we can just think, if, if the world were different, wouldn't it be great if we had been the place that was manufacturing these millions, billions of doses of vaccine yeah. and what that would mean for our students and our, our graduates and our communities. Uh, that's, that's my hope for the region. And I think it's an achievable vision. We have right now where uh, the Air Resources Board, California Air Resources Board is about to open their new facility on our campus. We will become here in Riverside the high-tech air quality research center of the world. There'll be more resources here between the university and CARB than arguably anywhere in the world. Uh, we're building a base to be a leader in the 21st century in economy. And when the economy becomes a leader, that means all the students 
will benefit. So that's that's where I see us headed. Yeah. Chancellor Kim Wilcox from the University of California, Riverside. You're listening to Education Insight, and we've been discussing the value of a college degree today. Dr. Wilcox, thank you so much for joining us here on our program. It's been a pleasure. I really did enjoy it. You're listening to Education Insight. This is that time of year when we traditionally give thanks. So this week, our interns wandered halls and Zoom sessions to ask who the teachers are that most inspired our own Education Insight family. My name is Nicole. A teacher I'll never forget is Mr. Robert Cosby at International Children's School. Thank you, Mr. Cosby. My name is Anne-Marie Sakharkoff. My favorite teacher is uh, Mrs. Gail Shaw, who was my fifth grade teacher, and I was fortunate to be in her very first class as a teacher. And all these many years later, she is still teaching in San Bernardino. She's now teaching kindergarten. And one of the reasons why I always will remember her is she wrote a How the Grinch Stole Christmas play for our Christmas program and played the guitar. And we all had a, a part and I got to be the narrator. And so that was a huge thing for me as a, a little fifth grader. Thank you so much, Mrs. Shaw. And uh, really want to say a big thanks to all the teachers and principals and administrators and everyone involved in education who do so much for the students of our region. Hi, my name is Sorrel. Um, a teacher I'll never forget is Judy, my kindergarten and first grade teacher at Wingress School in Madison, Wisconsin. She provided a fun, creative, loving, multi-age environment in which kids could explore and grow all at their own pace. And I'll never forget sitting on the floor against pillows next to her when I first experienced the thrill of reading independently. Thanks, Judy. And thanks to all of the other teachers from preschool through graduate school who supported and guided me along my journey. My name is uh, Carlos Cuauhtémoc Ayala. I am the president and CEO of Growing Inland Achievement, a teacher I will never forget and who had a huge impact on my life is Mrs. Sacoman in the eighth grade at De Anza Junior High School. She taught us mathematics and what she was able to do in the classroom was to bring mathematics to life and to make it part of who you were, right? So we always did these really fun math projects like, all right, kids, go outside and measure the perimeter of the school. And it was very impactful to me, this the ability to make math my own during that time. And one really private event that happened uh, between us, uh, we were learning some simple algebra and I was just sitting around playing with some algebraic formulas. And I, I did something like, you know, do one formula and then I changed that formula by substituting one into another. And I had filled a whole page full of these formulas doing these things. And I ended up exactly where I started. And I went and I showed it to her. And 
she was really excited about that, that I was able to just play with math. I believe that she really reinforced my quantitative skills at that time. And I attribute all my, uh, much of my success in my careers to Mrs. Sakoman and what she did for me with mathematics. So thank you, Mrs. Sakoman. And also a big shout out to all of the teachers across the nation who serve students every day. Hi, my name is Laurie. A teacher that impacted my life was Dr. Stillian at Western Carolina University. She was the first person who taught me about academic writing. Long before Google, she took the class on a field trip to the basement of the library where the enormous journals were kept and taught us how to research topics and find articles. I remember the smell of those huge old books and getting excited about all of the information that was out there. She motivated me because she was passionate about teaching, but probably mostly because she told me I was a good writer and encouraged me to develop as a writer and as an academic. Thank you, Dr. Stillian, and to all of the instructors who teach with passion and believe in their students. My name is Alejandra Gomez. A teacher who impacted my life and I will never forget is Ms. Colorado, my second grade teacher at Malabar Elementary School. Thank you, Ms. Colorado, and to all the teachers advocating for their students when they or their parents are not able to. My name is Michael. A teacher I'll never forget is actually a collective of teachers. My time at Grossmont College, straight out of high school, was the most impactful experience in my life. And it's hard to pick out just one teacher at this community college because there were so many that were so supportive and believed in my abilities and helped me to build confidence as a student and as an athlete, ultimately leading me to become a community college teacher myself. I'd like to give a shout out to all of the community college teachers across the state and across the nation for inspiring and supporting your students. You make a difference in all of their lives. My name is Ida Armasillo. I am the Director of Network Engagement at Growing Inland Achievement. I think my favorite teacher, um, it's a hard pick. I love a lot of my teachers along my journey, but I'm gonna go with Mr. Pentecost. He was my photography teacher in sixth grade. And I think what I remember most about him and the way he impacted my life was his ability to bring creativity and a new perspective to the way I saw school. So I just wanna say thank you for always bringing out the best in me and all the students you ever had in your classroom. And also just a big shout out to all the teachers all the way from kindergarten to post-secondary that change our lives every single day and continue to impact their students to be the best versions of themselves. Thank you, teachers. My name is Jake. An instructor that I'll never forget is Mr. De Guzman at Riverside College, Norco campus. I was struggling to pass college level math. It definitely wasn't my greatest subject. And Mr. De Guzman took extra time to help me out after class, went above and beyond to help me grasp the concepts. And after repeating it a couple times, eventually passed the class. It was a huge boost for my confidence knowing I passed college level math and was a step closer to transferring to Cal State San Bernardino. Thank you, Mr. De Guzman. 
and to all of the teachers and instructors out there for your dedication, especially this last two years, to provide a quality education for all of the students in the Inland Empire. My name is Alyssa Silva. One teacher that impacted my life was Mr. Johnson at Coachella Valley High School. He always encouraged me to share my ideas with the world and taught me to be bold and brave. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. And also a huge shout out to my former professor, Lacey Kendall, and all the teachers who help continue to shape the next generation. The work you do is incredibly important and appreciated. My name is Alicia Paulino, and I'm a student intern at GIA. And the teacher that impacted my life was Mr. Seacrest from Silver Valley High School. He will always have a lasting impression. So for that, I thank you, Mr. Seacrest, for all that you did, along with all the other teachers out there. <laughs> to all of the great teachers that continue to inspire us, thank you. Some of the story ideas that we're working on for future episodes of Education Insight include pre-K. How big a difference does it really make in a child's education? And how much will the new federal government funding help pre-K here locally? Plus, with billions of dollars in grant money being offered to students, why is $2 billion of it being left on the table? Be sure and join us for all of those stories and so many more. Happy holidays to you and your family. I'm Lacey Kendall. Education Insight is produced in partnership with KVCR San Bernardino. Our executive producer is Jacob Poor, and our production engineer is Tyler Vizi. Alyssa Silva is our production assistant, and Lacey Kendall is your host. Support is provided by Growing Inland Achievement, working together for inland education and economic success. And by College Futures Foundation. Do you have questions or suggestions for the future topics we should be covering? Write to us at educationinsight.org. Join us again next time for Education Insight. <laughs>